Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Takecast. I'm Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by Hayden Winks from Underdog to break down everything that we need to know to draft our best ball teams in 2022. Hayden has been deep in the lab working on what worked in best ball, what didn't work in best ball, the optimal roster construction, the optimal positional distribution, how to approach stacking, and uh, I think this was the perfect conversation to get us ready as we are almost to best ball summer. If you like the show, you can always support us by subscribing on patreon.com slash takecast for bonus episodes of the show, or you can just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, we had to do it. It's April 20th. We're almost there. The guys, our friends over at Underdog, their their thumbs are hovering over the button to launch the contest. The NFL draft is going to happen. We're going to know who's on who. We're knowing who's taking Jamison Williams. Drake London is going to have a home. It is time to get serious about best ball summer 2022. So there's no one better to bring on to get us ready to draft a bunch of um a bunch of hopium, right? We're going to draft the hope of uh, of the stupid million dollars. Hayden, Hayden Winks, how you doing, bud? Doing good. Uh, I am so over the NFL draft prospects. I can't. Uh, so over it. Dude. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I, I'm wrapping up my final project with it. Can't wait for the draft to figure out the landing spots, but yeah, I got, I got, I was watching Khalil Shakur tape and I was like, that's when I knew enough already. Like at best, he's like Sterling Shepard. The next, Debo, like, you mean the next Debo Samuel, bro? Yeah, exactly. But I was like, what, once I'm like hoping that he turns into like Sterling Shepard, that's when I have to turn things off, you know, go outside. Yeah, I've been doing, I mean, I'm probably like 14 podcasts deep with Reeves and Karain and JJ on these prospects. And I'm like, dude, we, we dedicated seven minutes of airtime to, to, grant calcaterra and i was like it's it's done like it's done we we've done we've done enough so it's time to be forward thinking you've done a ton of research over the off season um lots of people have done research over the off season uh so let's just go ahead and get into it what are the biggest findings of your research from winning teams in 2021 well i hate to say it 
if you drafted running backs early, you won money. If you didn't, you got your ass kicked. Uh, zero RB, I'm looking at Sam Hopp, and he tweeted can, this out. Can confirm. Yes. Uh, zero RB had an advance rate of 11%, and typical is about 17%. Uh, robust running back for all those people out there uh, had an above-average advance rate. Um, the best by far, though, and this is kind of what I've been uh, leaning towards the last couple of years, is what TJ Hernandez is calling superhero RB. Go two running backs before round three, and then don't draft one until round nine or beyond. That had an advance rate of like 25%, which is out of control. So that's exactly what happened last year. We obviously, like those type of teams could have drafted like Jonathan Taylor and uh, like, I don't know, someone like Antonio Gibson. And then they come back with uh, James Conner, Leonard Fournette. They get the Alexander Madison week. Um, so that's kind of how I like it. And the reason why I think it works is because you don't want to fill that flex spot too early. I think you want to like give yourself outs. And if you go to running backs early, best case scenario, you fill those spots and you can still get that James Conner breakout season. You can get those Alexander Madison weeks, put them into your flex spot. So that's kind of what worked um, best overall. So that was kind of the way I ended up drafting a lot of teams. Uh, probably if I had to guess and go back and look at my distribution, I probably did more like round one RB round, like round six, seven RB. Like there were, there were guys, you know, before ETN got hurt, but I mean, there were guys hanging out in that range. I do wonder if it is a historical trend or a historical anomaly that Fournette and James Conner had the seasons they had in that range. Because if I am recalling some of like JJ's research in the past, uh, the, I mean, and both of them were the ambiguous backfield things, which we know is huge, right? When, uh, when there are, you know, two running backs in a backfield and neither of them are expensive, those are just great situations to target the cheaper guy. So Fournette and Connor were, were definitely great examples of that. And of course, you know, we're going to have plenty of examples of that this season. I mean, uh, you know, Clyde Taylor and Ronald Jones for the chiefs is, is one of them right now. I, I have not started drafting yet. Um, I'm waiting. Um, but that is like, uh, that is like really player specific stuff. Right. And uh, so, so the question following that would then be, does the 2021 trend, do we, do we draft that like it's gospel? Do we draft that like it's a rule? Or is that going to be something that could change based on how the market is going to react to the results from last year? Yeah, so when I did my research after the first Best Ball Mania, it was the exact same results as it was. So that's been the, like the last two seasons. And then even coming in to that 2021 season, we had Best Ball data from other sites, and it was still a pretty good um, strategy and those were in PPR. And I think that's the biggest thing that people cannot get out of their freaking brains is the move from full PPR to half PPR. And especially without the hundred yard bonuses, it is a massive difference. And people do not understand that, uh, quite enough. And especially with, um, in best ball in particular, some of the running backs that you were used to grabbing off of waivers, they just don't, they just go completely undrafted. They don't even that. get drafted. How many, how many leagues, how many leagues was Eli Mitchell drafted in last year. How many leagues? And and, Pat, and Patterson was, he was wide receiver eligible yep. on underdog, but, but still, I mean, the fact remains 
He, I, I, I think I maybe even remember a tweet from like the main account that it was like 600 something teams yep. in best ball mania even took Cordero Patterson. So, and I, I'll totally find, like, I totally find myself guilty of that. Like in the FFPC main event, I'm like, yeah, like I'm going to pick up Daryl Williams in week four. I'm going to pick up Matt Breeder or whatever. And like, you just, you know, the, the running back dead zone, even a, even a guy who sucks, right. Even a guy like Josh Jacobs, who sucks might score enough points to just help you advance, to just get you there. And, and those points are replaceable in season long where you're just grabbing your JD McKissick's or whatever, but you're, you, you just do not have the ability to do that. Um, and I do wonder if the shift to 20 rounds will do anything to alter that, you know, cause obviously more of those guys will get drafted and, and people will probably draft six running backs more often now as well. Yeah. So I think really just like the, I don't really care about like the roster construction. If it's four running backs, five running backs, six running backs. I think that that data is like, was useful like a year ago, but like it's way too specific to your actual roster. Like when you drafted each position is the actual thing that matters with how many running backs you should be taking. Like, I don't care what the advance rate is for six running backs versus five running backs over the course of the season. I want to know if I've drafted two running backs, like I said, we should be doing in the first three rounds do I still need six running backs or do I just need the five? And that's where I think this offseason, my my research is going to be completely dedicated to if I've done this through the first five rounds, what do I need to do? And I, I did it for one article on quarterbacks and I looked at um, kind of the best case scenario. So like last year, if you drafted Josh Allen in the fifth or sixth round, uh, he finishes the quarterback one. He was by far the best uh, quarterback pick in that selection. When did you need to draft your quarterback to? And in my research, if you drafted like even Justin Herbert, who was awesome, like round seven, you still didn't do nearly as well. You had to wait till like round nine, get yourself someone like Tom Brady, get Joe Burrow in round 10. And basically what this study is looking at is just the diminishing returns uh, at each position. You don't want to dedicate too many running backs. That's why we were making fun of the robust RB bros is like, you're just hammering the position. You're not leaving yourself out to those breakout guys. So it really just comes down to, don't invest too much into one position. Like it sounds crazy. And I think everybody likes to do the contrarian approach where they have like eight wide receivers in the first 11. Look, we, can, we can just call them out. We can just call this the ship chasing effect of like just smashing like six wide receivers through seven rounds. I think you can do that, but just draft six wide receivers. You know, like if you drafted six through yeah. round eight, stop, just draft a shit ton of RBs later. Like I think zero RB works on, on underdog still. But I think that you can't do zero RB and then still have nine wide receivers. Like that's, that's investing way, 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 way too much. You always got to be assuming you're right. So I think zero RB actually could get really interesting, but go zero RB with six wide receivers and draft eight of them or uh, six of them in the first nine rounds and then stop. It's like the, it's like the reverse, right? So it's like, it's like, uh, I hammer, you know, I have, uh, you know, CD lamb and Justin Jefferson and Deandre, you know, just a great wide receiver, six wide receivers who, and, and you're right draft, like you're right. They stay healthy. They're smashing for me all year. So then I'm taking James white and Ronald Jones and Giovanni Bernard and Daryl Williams and, and JD McKissick and, you know, who James Connor, whatever. And you, and you have, eight of those guys and you're just playing the roulette that their scoring distribution over the 17 weeks is enough to, I mean, you're not going to match Jonathan Taylor, but you might, you might match Josh Jacobs. You might match, you might match Ezekiel Elliott yep. with the, with that distribution of scores. And that's why I don't like looking at the like complete roster construction. Like you five running backs had the most points 
I don't care about that because like that example right there, like if you drafted CeeDee Lamb and DeAndre Hopkins and Terry McLaurin and uh, Robert Woods, like from last year, like just draft the six and, and get going. Uh, so that was like the biggest takeaway. And then the other takeaway is do not reach on players, period. Like it's just never works out. I was looking at it last year. Um, if you even drafted a player like six spots ahead of ADP, on average, you lost about 15 points compared to the average team. If you drafted a player around early, you're down about 25 points. If you drafted a player two rounds early, you're down like 40 points. And then the inverse is true. Even if you just draft a player like five or six spots after ADP, you're up 10, 15 points compared to the average team. So always wait on your guys. I, I like people having stances. I don't like this like completely diver, uh, diverse approach. Like you can't have any player stances, have yeah. player stances, but wait till you can draft them at ADP. So I think that is sort of interesting because on one hand we're saying, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter the number. Like my, my thought on that would be, is that that is true in the aggregate, but it is not true in the specific examples, right? We're like, because if you, if, if Debo Samuel was the guy that you were taking six spots ahead of ADP or 10 spots ahead of ADP didn't matter. You were just, you were totally cashing in. Same with Cooper Cup, same with Leonard Fournette, same with James Conner. The problem is, though, is that is uh, putting too much reliance on your ability to identify those breakouts. Um, and th then the other spot where that would not be true, where I actually think you can do this in a profitable way, even if you are like a break-even talent evaluator, is just in, in the split backfields that we're talking about. And we're saying... I'm not drafting any of Chase Edmonds and I'm drafting all of Raheem Mostert and I'm never taking Edmonds when he falls 10 spots past and I'm taking Raheem Mostert around. And I, I don't know these guys ADP right now and you could replace this with any team. It doesn't matter. And I do like, I mean, I don't have the answer for this question. I'm just thinking out loud. Like I do wonder if doing that with those split backfields instead of middling it and being like, I'm taking some Damian Harris. I'm taking some Ramondre Stevenson. I'm taking some James White. I'm taking 20th round stabs on Ty Montgomery. Whereas I wonder if it's actually better to just be like, I'm taking this one guy. And if I have to take him eight spots ahead of ADP, like, cause when you win, right. When, if you win, if you win that, if you win the James Conner, if you win the Leonard Fournette, you might have 30% of your teams advancing. Yeah. So I somewhat agree with that. And I somewhat disagree. The part I agree with is I think you don't want to like diversify in 50, 50, these backfields. I think that there are um, like the perfect example was James Conner, Leonard Fournette, these ambiguous backfields. I don't care what the price is. I want the guy that will play three downs. If things break his way, like Giovanni Bernard will never do that. James White will never do that. I want the person in the backfield that actually has a chance. Like I was not drafting any chase Edmonds last year. I wanted all the James Conner because Chase Edmonds, let's be honest, is not, not going to be touching the ball 20 times per game. James Conner can done that. He had done that in the previous backfields. But even with that, I still just want to draft them at ADP because somebody else will draft them 10 spots after ADP, and then you're just shit out of the luck. So in these tournaments, you have to be super patient, and you have to be getting good prices on all these players. But I, I do think, like, do not just say, ah, I have no idea. Uh, between this backfield so i'm just gonna go 50 50 like no i don't think we have to diversify like that like create stances on i think just like archetypes of players and to me like the backfield one is will this person will this player get 20 touches for five six seven straight weeks um does he have the body type to do that has he done it in the past those are the type of things like the giovanni bernards i will not draft a single one even if they fall after adp 
Um, but that also doesn't mean I'm going to be drafting Leonard Fournette like a round early. I want to get him where he's being drafted at. So I do disagree with that in the later rounds. I, I definitely disagree with that round 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, because Ty Johnson, right? Or, or just whatever. These guys were occasionally going to throw in 12 point weeks. Like uh, I do there, there, especially the way that I'm kind of drafting teams. It, I mean, I actually think, especially if you're doing the superhero RB teams and if you're drafting, like you're right, uh, you know, maybe Jonathan Taylor misses two weeks with injury or whatever. And in those two weeks, you don't need, you don't need James, you know, 2021 James Conner in those weeks. Uh, you don't need that big of a hit to advance. You just need a guy who's going to grind out 10 points. Like I, like, I think that's excellent advice with premium picks, right? Don't take guys who have no three down ups. And, and we've seen this happen so many times in fantasy football where the third down, like uh, Rex Burkhead, right? was like a fourth round fantasy pick once upon a time where the guy who runs really hot on third downs and in the red zone is a really high fantasy pick. Danny Woodhead, another, another example of that. Um, and I think that makes sense with premium picks, but I, I definitely will still be taking my Giovanni Bernards. At late. It's just mostly just because of the way I draft. Like if now, obviously um, I think that advice changes a little bit. If you're doing true zero RB and you do actually need a guy who can have a 20 fantasy points per game season. Like if you, like if you're drafting eight running backs, draft a bunch of guys who can play all three downs. Yeah. I just think in half PPR and in tournaments, like the, the 12 point Giovanni Bernard weeks, just not good enough to me. Like it's, it really isn't like, you just need to swing for the fences. I would rather have a Khalil Herbert, someone like that where if things break his way you can get it you can get like really high ups i think that's just like the difference of like half ppr where i, I just have like no interest in those types of of uh running backs personally okay so what about uh we we literally have not mentioned the tight end position yet what did your research Good. find with the with the tight end position it doesn't matter even last year it just didn't matter um at all i think that uh the four for four guys have noticed that four tight end builds if you've drafted them after like round 10, those builds were actually profitable to me. I'm, I'm going to be writing a column on it. Invest the least into the tight end position out of anyone in your league. And I think that's going to be even more true this year, talking about like what worked last year and what worked this year. Tight end specifically is the position that I don't like looking at historical trends because it's so top heavy. Like if Travis Kelsey has a good season, that matters. If he doesn't, that would completely affect the data. And I think that this year, there's something that's going on where Travis Kelsey is definitely getting older. He can still have one of those elite seasons, but I'm guessing he's not going to have that truly elite season. George Kittle has more target competition, probably quarterback downgrade when it comes to just pure passing. Uh, Darren Waller has more target competition. Uh, Kyle Pitts, we, is Marcus Mariota going to make him an elite, elite tight end. So I think what's going to happen is the top end tight ends aren't going to score as many points as we're used to. Like we had like the prime Kittle years, prime Travis Kelsey years, like, those were like the golden years of tight ends. I don't see a tight end that's going to have one of those seasons. So just by default, the 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 uh, tight end twos, I think are going to have a great season. And just like this year in general, I think there's a lot of tight end twos that are kind of interesting. Like Gerald Everett attached to Justin Herbert um, is one. David Njoku has a better chance of scoring points. There's a lot of like Evan Ingram, like all these guys that are disgusting. I want like three, four of them in round 14, 15, 16, 17 and completely punt off the position entirely. I think half PPR, they just get absolutely hammered compared to quarterbacks. Um, quarterbacks literally scored two and a half times more points. Like I want to get that position right. And I want to ping pong the, the touchdowns 
um, of the tight ends because they're the, the most uh, volatile position week to week. So you can just play the touchdown game. And I think that having more tight ends and more shitty tight ends is going to make up those points, especially if like Travis Kelsey doesn't like smash the field by like five points per game. Yeah, if if there is not a you know like a like you know Mark Andrews scoring sixteen touchdowns or like if that doesn't happen, then I think you're right. Uh, I think that that seems now obviously you know there there are always those outlier seasons or whatever. But I also think your additional point is correct, which is that there are just a lot of tight ends in 2022 who do seem you know Albert Boonham, David Njoku with Hooper out, like Robert Tunyon coming back from the ACL and the Packers don't have any wide receivers. Like there, like it does feel like there are a lot of those potential options out there. Um, so I, I mean, kind of the, the big question with all of these findings is how much do we feel like, you know, 2021 was just one slate. How much of this stuff do we feel uh, like is going to come over and how much does the addition of the two roster spots change any of these findings? Yeah. So I think the, I view the tight end position and kind of the quarterback position as like the single slate where you have to kind of reset and doesn't really mean that much just for the reason that we just talked about. I think running backs and wide receivers, I'm feeling pretty good that the data from the last two years is pretty reflective. Now, like it's not exactly like, Oh, like, like last year round 11, if you drafted a, a round 11 running back, you were smashing. That's just because that's where Leonard Fournette and James Connor, that could be round eight this year. It could be round 13 this year. But I think the RB dead zone has been true for the last five years. I think that there's something to that. Um, and I think that something with the best ball uh, half PPR scoring makes the running backs in rounds one and two and round three even uh, pretty good. So I feel decent about that data kind of staying the same. The tight end data and the quarterback data, because it's so reliant on just like four or five players at each one of those positions. I want to kind of throw that out and rely on like my projections for the upcoming season. So um, I think that it's directionally accurate now, like if it's round 10 versus round eight versus round 12, where the running back scoring pops up, who knows that's going to be based off your kind of projections from this year. Right. So, so the, the, what, what do we anticipate to be the first, the biggest, like first order effects of the two roster spots? Like, is that gonna mean that more people are drafting four tight ends? And so, so t- like, you know, tight end scoring changes. Do we think it's that every team basically takes three quarterbacks? Like kind of what, like, obviously there are going to be second order effects that we notice next year after we get the data, but kind of, how do we think it's going to like change drafts? Yeah. I think the easiest one is going from two quarterbacks to three quarterbacks and two tight ends to three tight ends is like the easiest one. Uh, I think that people are going to look at their roster. Do I really need like a 10th wide receiver versus that third tight end or third quarterback? And I think that's, that's true. I think you do want, three quarterbacks and three tight ends for the most part, kind of depending on like, obviously if you drafted Josh Allen and Tom Brady this year, then you don't want a third quarterback, but I think most builds are going to want that third quarterback versus that 10th wide receiver. Um, I will say, I'm not sure if we've actually decided if we're going 18 or 20 rounds yet. Um, I personally don't know that answer, but. I oh, I thought, be- I, I thought that was like done. I thought I, cause the, 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 before, the, the, before the draft one is 20 rounds, right? Yes. That was, that was the super flex draft. I went to 20 rounds. Um, I, I, I don't know yet. Um, we'll learn obviously right, okay, right cool, after the NFL cool. draft. Um, but I do think it's going to be the quarterbacks and, and white or quarterbacks and tight ends that are going to be most affected. Um, I do think it allows you to get super contrarian, like going back to, uh, that, um, discussion, if you wanted to go zero RB, you drafted six stud wide receivers by round 10, and then you wanted to go like freaking eight running backs. I think having those extra spots will allow you to do that. Um, and I think that wide receivers 
because we can pretty much project who's going to be in three wide receiver sets. The late round wide receiver is not going to matter as much to me, but those like running backs that just kind of randomly pop off. I think like the 19th round, 20, 20th round is like the perfect opportunity to grab a couple of random running backs that are currently like the RB3 on the depth chart, but an injury happens um, and all of a sudden the role changes and you can start popping off those weeks. But I think the other big thing is going to the tight ends, the fourth tight end. Like that's something I want to do a lot of research on because I think the touchdown scoring uh, at the tight end position is super important. And if I can add another ping pong tight end touchdown week um, to my rotation, I'd love to do that. Right. That, which, uh, yeah, that, I think that makes, um, I think that makes like a good amount of, uh, of sense. So I, I know you said you don't care that much about structure, but I do think, I, I tend to think that these things are important, especially when you are like, look, let's be honest. Like we are kind of get drafting on like autopilot a little bit. I mean, we're just going to be hammering out so many of these. So let's, let's just say theoretically in a vacuum, you were to draft 150 teams with the exact same structure, what would that optimal structure be? I would have two running backs by round four and most of the time by round three. And I wouldn't draft another running back till, I don't know, round nine, 10, 11. Um, I would bank on those top two running backs staying healthy. And then I would have a, a core of like five or six wide receivers I feel good about. And I'm probably going to go two quarterbacks by round 11 there's kind of like a top 14 ish type of quarterbacks right now that i'm looking at i think the quarterback position is really set in stone i think that um we're doing a pretty good job of understanding the rushing upside so like we're not going to have that like lamar jackson breakout season randomly um like even like trey lance got steamed up justin fields is getting steamed up uh jalen hurts it was like a top eight quarterback um so i think we've properly assessed that position where it's going to be kind of hard to make up those points. So I think that I want two quarterbacks um, by like round 12, uh, two ink, two superhero RBs. And then I trust my wide receivers and completely punt off tight end. Which is uh, I think that, I think that's fairly interesting. I mean, this is, this is not exactly related, but I mean, did we learn anything with the rookie quarterbacks this year or last year? And is that going to snap back too much? Are, are we actually going to see, uh, because of maybe the overreaction to how poor Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance didn't start and Zach Wilson was bad and Mac Jones started but wasn't good for fantasy. Like, will we actually maybe see Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis or Matt Corral, all of whom will run a little bit? Do we think that those guys, or just in general moving forward, rookie quarterbacks might present more of a value because the market is so scared? Well, that's tough. I think they're all going to be quarterback threes depending yeah. on like how high Malik Willis goes. I think just like how bad the quarterback class matters in this, like Justin Fields was like an off the charts prospect uh, to me and to most people, same thing with, with Trevor Lawrence, uh, Trey Lance was a little more boom bust, but like it was like the perfect landing spot if he was going to start. So um, I, I don't think, I don't think there's enough hype with the other guys that will, they'll get super steamed, but I think that's right. Like, I don't really think any of them are good. I think we're gonna have a lot of debate about Malik Willis and how many games he's going to start. If it's zero, I'm not going to be surprised. Like if, if you had to ask me like, what is the most likely scenario? It's that he starts like under three games. Uh, but if he hits, then all of a sudden you have like the Jalen Hurts type of fantasy quarterback. So I think that's like going to be the one interesting debate, but I, I just don't, I just don't want those guys. Like I want, I want Kyler Murray uh, plus Matthew Stafford. I want to stack those two teams and I don't even really want to worry about those uh, quarterback twos, quarterback threes. I want like two good ones because the, 
the position just scores so many more points um, in half PPR compared to full PPR. Yeah. Which, which uh, does I like that. The elite quarterback thing is sort of interesting because you're right in half point PPR, those quarterback points are more valuable, right? There are no hundred yard bonuses. You know, like the, the frequency of like 30 point games from wide receivers is, uh, you know, far greater, uh, far less, but you know, you're like the, the opportunity cost of taking Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson is, I mean, it's fairly huge. So like, like how does it, like, are these elite quarterbacks still posting? I mean, not, not Patrick Mahomes last year because his fantasy scoring fell off a cliff, but are those guys like, are the Lamar Jacksons and Justin Herbert's like, are they still providing uh, a big win rate, even despite the opportunity cost? Yeah. So I have a stat called uh, fantasy points over replacement. And it's just based off of underdog scoring. And that looks like at how many points did Josh Allen score over the quarterback 12 in a given week. And if you look at those uh, points, Josh Allen was uh, six overall last year. Um, you have other quarterbacks like Tom Brady was 12th overall, uh, Justin Herbert, 15th overall. Um, if you look at it, like the top nine or out of the top 50, um, it was about like 11 of the, those players were actually quarterbacks. I think they are underrated. I think the elite quarterbacks are underrated. I like Josh Allen at ADP this year. Um, I think the opportunity cost is a little bit too galaxy brain just because it's half PPR and they just score way more points. And it takes a lot for, for Josh Allen to not be a good fantasy quarterback because they play fast. They pass the ball a ton. He runs it. It's like so obvious that he's going to smash. Um, so I, I don't think there's that much of an opportunity cost. And the other thing I want to say is all of the data on um, the early quarterback is going to be kind of skewed because only uh, the the people with uh, 80 IQs were drafting those uh, those players because all of, like the sharp community was uh, saying never draft the early quarterbacks. So I think some of that data is a little bit skewed. And I think that if somebody that has a clue is drafting those quarterbacks early, I think that they can actually build um, a pretty decent team around it. So that's, that is really interesting, right? That gets into the intersection of aggregated data versus, you know, the specific examples, because, you know, there is going to be a big difference between, you know, Joe, Joe six pack drafting his Lamar Jackson team and taking Lamar Jackson at ADP versus a really good drafter who knows what he's doing. Who's drafting off good projections who like has a clue about structure drafting Lamar Jackson, because you're right. Like, and, and that is, um, that's like another huge leak from seasonal fantasy to best ball is that uh you know like if uh, lamar jackson has a tough matchup or, or dings his ankle up or whatever you can pick up uh i guess joe burrow is not a great you know carson wentz or whatever you know just in a, in a good spot you can pick up sam darnold in a good spot if there is such a thing that exists for sam darnold and again you're not you're just you're not like the it 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 is insane how much the the two games are are so different yeah, and the other thing is we're trying to stack here. Like, everything about this tournament is you have to come in first place out of thousands and thousands and thousands of drafts. And the only way to do that is to have the Bengals stack. Like, you're not – like, all of a sudden, the I don't think that the Panthers stack uh, – I don't think that the Lions stack is going to go too crazy um, this season. But the Kyler Murray stack, if you can get DeAndre Hawkins and Zach Ertz and Kyler Murray, like, that stack has a chance to really go off. I think the only way that you're going to have the high-end stacks is if you draft the quarterbacks – early so i think i just want to win the um with win with like two decent starting quarterbacks make sure to stack them up properly and then i want to win running back with depth 
and I want to win tight end with depth and um, wide receiver, just kind of just sprinkle them across the board. But I, I'm firmly on two decent quarterbacks, not two elite ones, but I'm fine with one elite quarterback and one of the, like, that second tier. I think like the perfect example this year would be Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford. Grab one of the Ravens uh, pass catchers, grab two of Stafford's pa- pass catchers, and all of a sudden um, you got two options in, in like week 17 to really go off. So that is, that's kind of the, that's kind of the last big qualitative thing that we have to talk about, which is stacking. So, uh, I, and I'll just, I'll just go through these questions one by one here. So first is, does the quarterback actually need to be included the way, the way that scoring breaks down? Is it enough to have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk? Maybe not the best example because Debo just requested a trade, but, but wide receiver X and wide receiver Y from a team does the quarterback need to be included in this context? Yes. And I think this is like another interesting thing where um, in non-tournaments drafting the, the r- rushing quarterback helps you out because you, you only have to come in first out of 12 teams, but in uh, best ball mania three, you're gonna have to come in first out of thousands of teams. So you want when you're right. And like, this is the perfect example of the bucks and the, the Rams last year. If you were right about uh, Cooper cup or right about Matthew Stafford, you're also going to be right. Uh, uh, with other players Mike Evans went off Chris Godwin was going off uh, Gronk went off like I want the passing quarterbacks because they give you multiple stacks now I think that we kind of overdo it um, I think like in the perfect world my stack would be uh, a pocket quarterback with his number one wide receiver and then either his top top tight end or his like third wide receiver I think we're doing too much if you're doing Jamar Chase plus T Higgins I think there's a there's just too much investment into that position. Like the best Jamar chase season happens if T Higgins gets banged up and the same, uh, same the other way around. So I think I want like the first in like the third pass catcher in the offense, but for an offense is actually going to pass the ball top 10 um, in attempt. So perfect example would be uh, give me Cooper cup and Tyler Higby plus Matthew Stafford. Um, I don't really want Jamar Chase plus T Higgins. I'd rather go Jamar Chase plus Tyler Boyd. And if something happens to T Higgins, all of a sudden you have that third pass catcher mean a little bit more. So that's pretty, that's pretty interesting is like, and, and, you know, obviously then if you're getting the third pass catcher, you're beating, you're beating ADP. I mean, and and maybe he doesn't beat his ADP over the course of the season, but he shows up, you know, you draft Tom Brady and, and Russell Gage. I don't even know what Russell Gage's ADP is right now. Probably 30 spots too high, but you take, you take Tom Brady, you take Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or whoever uh, you take Gronk at his ADP, assuming that he plays for the team. And then you take the third guy as opposed to double tapping Evans and God, I mean that, that like, that just makes a ton of sense. Um, so like that, that's probably the right way to draft Uh so what about the addition of the running backs into the team? So that's the, the addition of the running backs is sort of fascinating because in a cumulative game, it, it would make a lot of sense, right? Because you're just kind of betting that offense X is just going to be way better than the market anticipates. They're going to gain more yards. They're going to score points, but in the tournament setting does not, I mean, I, I don't know. I would guess it makes a little bit, less sense because they're realistically there are only x amount of points available in week four week 15 16 17 and it's very unlikely the dallas cowboys are scoring 57 points in week 17 and the entire offense is on the field the entire time so what is the data say about including running backs with the stacks 
when you are entering the Millie Maker and DFS, are you ever using the running back in those games? Like it's 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 pretty rare to do it, and it's just like you said, the the Millie Maker team in week. 17 this year is probably scoring 35 points and it's probably four passing touchdowns it's not probably 48 points where everyone goes off so i i don't really like using them i think on the average it's positively correlated but is it positively correlated at the average or is it positively correlated at the top 10th percentile outcomes i don't think it is positively correlated at the top 10th percentile outcomes so like i wouldn't want um zeke elliott plus cd lamb i just want one of the two and i just want those players to go off like Joe Mixon cannot draft Joe Mixon on the T Higgins and the Jamar chase teams. Um, I kind of just want him on separate offenses. We're playing for first place. And I, I find it hard to believe that the running back position is going to be correlated at like the top 10th percentile outcomes. And that's the only outcomes that we should actually care about. Yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I do struggle with that because like, you know, there are, would it would it uh, would it change your opinion if any of the running backs were like a guy who projects to catch 80 passes like l- let's say uh two years ago saints teams or whatever right breeze and michael thomas and alvin kamara or uh the killer bees Steelers, right roethlisberger bell antonio brown like are there are there places where we are making exceptions yes but i don't think it's at the top so i think like if you had a prime breeze team i think that you don't want alvin kamara and you want Drew Brees just to have one of those five touchdown games where Alvin Kamara is not scoring a touchdown. Maybe he gets one receiving touchdown. I think the actual exception, perfect example this year would be a Matt Ryan stack uh, where you have Naeem Hines and you're playing the contingent game where the backup running back that would be in the starting lineup, he is a pass catcher. If Jonathan Taylor misses time, Naeem Hines obviously can be like a top 20 back, but also you're going to get Matt Ryan actually throwing the ball more. So like those, that's like the contingent game last year, like the classic ex, uh, example that Eric Bimefor was touting, which made ton, a ton of sense until it didn't happen is if Derek Henry misses time, that's when AJ Brown has his best season. That's when Ryan Tannehill has his best season. And in theory, Darrington Evans was supposed to have that, that elite season. And we almost had it except Darrington Evans uh, couldn't stay on the field and Vrabel is like the coach. If you aren't playing through a broken leg, uh, you can't play for the Titans. But those are the type of contingent games where I actually think like a running back would be positively correlated, but it's like based off of like the, the starter, that early round running back getting injured. I think like Naeem Hines plus Matt Ryan would be uh, positively correlated at like the top, top end outcomes. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that did, it did almost happen. Right. Uh, so, Oh, that's another thing I meant to ask you about. What is the data on drafting handcuffs versus the you know the the, the Darrington Evans the Giovanni Bernards like guys who project for a like a very small role right your your Chuba Hubbards or or whatever what what is the data show on that stuff? I think in half PPR it's like no question I'd rather have Alexander Madison uh, versus like on a Chase Edmonds this year like I would much rather have Alexander Madison we're playing for first place like I just think it's as simple as that I don't think Chase Edmonds will ever go on a six week run where he's averaging 20 points, Alexander Madison absolutely could, especially uh, Dalvin cook is still being investigated for um, assault or whatever, whatever it was. He's also older. He also misses time. Like Alexander Madison's one of my favorite picks um, right now an underdog. Uh, I would much rather have the, the, the handcuff types. Like if, if you don't have a three down uh, out, I don't, I don't, I really just not that interested uh, the only exceptions would be like a two down back on kind of a truly elite team um, at a discount. But 
if you if you're not playing three Ron, downs, Ronald Jones, a two down yeah, back yeah. on an elite team, I would have some interest in Ronald Jones. Uh, I'm probably gonna have more interest in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which is just because he has an easier path to that three down upside. But Ronald Jones would unfortunately be one of those uh, caveats. Yeah, we uh, we we love to uh, we love to see it. So there, uh, Drew Dinkmeyer has floated this idea of uh, out called like it's he calls it like the layering RB theory. So it's like you take your Jonathan Taylor, your second round running back of choice, then you wait, you take your Madison, your Rojo, your I don't even know who Latavius Murray, whatever your your stone cold handcuff, and then and maybe two of those, and then you also well, maybe waiting for the handcuff guys to get their suspension or injury or COVID test breakout, whatever. However, it ends up happening. And then you also take two of the James White, Giovanni Bernard style guys. That is kind of uh, how I have drafted my teams in the past is is kind of having uh, just placing those guys in buckets like that. Yeah, if, if I were to be drafting some of those pass catching types, that's how I would do it. It would be, Alexander Madison with James White. Even then, I think I'm fine with if I miss out on six points because Jonathan Taylor's on bye and uh, Alexander Madison's still the backup. Like, I, I just don't think like those six points from or those 12 points from those like guys without much ceiling is actually going to make uh, a difference. Those are the weeks where you're hoping that your wide receiver four fills your flex spot um, instead. But yeah, I, I, I guess it makes sense. I just still am worried that like that's playing to come in second place um, in your league and not to come in first place out of like a hundred thousand drafts. You know what? That's actually another thing that I, that, that people argue about on Twitter that I wanted to pick your brain on is, is it better to draft thinking all I care about is winning the stupid million dollars or is it actually just better to just draft as many teams that can advance as possible and let the chips fall where they may, right? So, like, the guys that you needed to have in Week 17 last year were, were Shad Penny and Jamar Chase, right? But, it, I mean, who knows? Like, literally, who knows who the guys are going to – like, literally, no one has the knowledge right now of who that guy is going to be in Week 17 this year. So, is it just better to draft with the idea of these are the right structure teams, these are the right type of players to take, and I just want to advance 20% of my teams and beat the field that way? So what exactly are the differences between aiming for first place versus aiming to win your league? Because even if you're winning your league, you still have to come in top two out of 12, which means like you're still playing for upside. So like the, the difference is like, am I playing for uh, the top 16th percentile outcome or the top first percentile? Like what is the actual difference that we're talking well, about? Well, there, there are a couple. There are a couple of them. So one of them, uh, so, so I had, I think like 19% of my teams advanced last year. And something that I noticed was, you know, because I'm drafting five teams at a time or whatever, a lot of the time, a couple of my advancing teams had Christian McCaffrey, right? But also had Chuba Hubbard on them. Not because I did it on purpose, but because I did it on accident. And this is my, uh, I, I would only stick this 40 minutes into a best ball podcast because it's so much heresy. But I do wonder if there is something I agree to drafting two running backs to the same team, if now you wouldn't want to do this on the Patriots, right? Because Damian Harris gets hurt and they're fucking using Brandon Bolden or JJ Taylor or whatever. You wouldn't want to do this on a team where there's like, obviously it turns into like a three headed nightmare, 
but I, I do wonder if there is something to handcuffing your running backs in best ball. Yeah. I think in best ball, it makes more sense than otherwise. Well, it ruins, it ruins your team in seasonal because you, you just lost your first round pick and like it, it, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. You don't have other outs to fill that position. Like you, if, if you, let's say you had five running backs and Dalvin cook gets injured, you only have four other options to get into that starting lineup. And we, if we can guarantee that one of the, the, our players is going to fill those 20 points immediately. Like it makes sense. I haven't seen enough data on it. I'm at least curious about this. Um, I'm not going to recommend it yet, but it's actually on my radar with you where it's like, I, I don't think it's helping your top percentile outcomes, but I do think it would help you advance a little. I was, it, I was mostly it helps trolling. your advance rate, right? Because yeah. if Christian McCaffrey misses two weeks, you get 14 points those weeks. And then other McCaffrey teams get nuked in win rate, but you have McCaffrey left in week 15. Yeah. So I, I think, I think like the other examples would be like drafting more rookies who are going to have breakouts in the last part of the year, but they're not going to help your advance rates. I think there's like some minor differences, but I, I do think that if you have like a, a somewhat contrarian build, like if you went the superhero RB, uh, that is also, that's a risky uh, proposition. That's probably uh, not helping your advance rates like, crazy but you still have like the ceiling outcome so i think that there is a, a a middle ground here like i think if you want rb rb five decent wide receivers two good quarterbacks and a bunch of crappy tight ends i think that's a a, a strategy that's going to help you win in advance rates and with the ceiling outcomes so i don't know there's there's not that many huge differences between the two like uh, drafting for a top first percentile and, and a top 10th percentile like there's really not that many examples i can think of that would like really well three those. three quarterbacks instead of two in an 18 yeah. round draft. Yeah. I still think that's just like hurting your, depending on where you draft your quarterbacks. I think that's just hurting your advance rate too. Like I, well, I, I don't want to be drafting. It, I don't want to be drafting three, three bad quarterbacks. I think that's just bad period. So like, I'm not really focused but, on that. But three, three bad quarterbacks. If I had to guess, you, we go back and look and we look at teams that take three quarterbacks. If they they would be very helpful if there was a way to filter for like, expected value of the drafter right knowing if it was like guy clicking buttons versus guy doing yeah. it on purpose um but I, I i would guess that three bad quarterbacks actually has an above average advance rate but like a super shitty top you know advanced to final round rate or whatever i think it's just garbage completely i don't care who's smashing the buttons i think all the, the quarterback threes are just trash no matter what it's just hard to compete with like the Josh Allen teams, like the, the way that the NFL is structured now, where some teams are playing with 70% uh, neutral pass rate and some are playing 50, some are playing uh really fast paced. Some are playing slow. Some quarterbacks don't run. Like there's only about six quarterbacks that have a chance to have 40 touchdowns this year. And you're not finding the breakup, uh, a QB three breakout. That's going to have that much potential. Like Baker Mayfield is just never going to be that guy. Jameis Winston's not going to be uh, that guy. Carson Wentz, probably not going to be that guy. I think that, you're really struggling to find those Kyler Murray points. Like I just don't see how um, I don't see any quarterback threes ever having those type of seasons just because each offense is like completely changed. Like the half the NFL's with the modern NFL and half the NFL is still playing like 1990s ball. And I think like that is a huge difference for fantasy quarterbacks. And then uh, the other things would be, I, I, again, I would guess that the James White, the Giovanni Bernards, those are advanced rate picks versus win the whole thing picks uh i mean that's something i've argued about with buying for a ton because i because i have liked to take the 
the James Whites before just because of, and like to your point, James White's 12 points in week 10, not helping me, not helping me win the whole thing. James White is never going to be the guy you need in week 17, but he might get my Jamar Chase, Rashad Penny team that would have died on the vine to the elimination rounds is sort of the thinking. And I, I don't know if that's legitimate thinking or wishful thinking, but that's how my brain processes it. I, I think like it would have, in theory, help your advance rates uh, compared to the the top ceiling plays. I just think they're not helping your advance rates anyways. I just, I really think that half PPR is really making those guys just bad picks. Like I, I'm all in favor for people taking Chase Edmonds in front of me, those type of backs. I just like do not even want to deal with them. I'd rather just take the the handcuff guys like at, at all costs. Well, I am. And I think that's probably optimal strategy for winning. But I, I don't because and I think Leone is kind of on my side, too, where it's just like I just want to draft as many teams to advance as possible versus going into every draft thinking I want to win a million dollars with this team. And I don't know what's better. I mean, we still there's so much about drafting these best ball teams that we don't know. Um, and then the other thing, though, would be taking a third tight end when you've already taken e- even if you've already invested a little bit at the position. Really, it just becomes about uh not eating zeros. Like really, if I had to establish the difference between really wanting to win a million dollars versus advancing is just insulating the lineup from zeros as much as possible. Yeah. To me, it just comes down to, I want the structures that have been playing out as winning structures the last couple of seasons. And I think I want to make my bets on the like archetype of players, like eliminate types of players. Uh, If that slot wide receivers, I don't play in two wide receiver sets. I don't want to be drafting them. If it's uh, tight ends that are going to be blocking for half the snaps, don't want to be drafting them. If it's the uh, running backs that are only going to play on third downs, not drafting them. If it's quarterbacks that uh, aren't going to have a chance of 35 touchdowns, not drafting them. I think that's where I want to get uh, my differences in just like completely eliminating half the field, just because they don't hit a specific type of bucket and stay within the same structure of how I'm drafting teams, uh, whether that's hero RB or, or, a superhero RB or a certain zero RB team, but eliminating a bunch of different players. And just uh, that's how I'm going to like, um, ha- I'm going to have like a bunch of like 25% owned players just because they fill that type of bucket. But I'm always going to be drafting in like the, the structures that are actually um, advancing teams. All right. What else do we, is there, is there anything else that, uh, that we haven't covered that the people need to know before they start to click the buttons on, uh, on May 1st? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I I'm going to do a bunch of content this year on like, if this happens, then what, like, for example, like Cooper cup, how many, how many wide receivers last year was optimal. If you drafted Cooper cup in the fourth round, like if you nailed that fourth round wide receiver, that's a top five wide receiver. Do you still need eight wide receivers or do you need six? I think those are the type of things where like, if I nail Josh Allen, when do I draft my quarterback to those are the only studies that actually, going to be caring about i think the next one i need to do is cooper cup because fourth and fifth round wide receivers are smashes and this has been true for the last 10 years it's like those those they need one thing to break their way they're a little bit better than we think the team passes a little bit more and those fourth and fifth round wide receivers always crush um so i think the cooper cup studies is going to be coming up uh eventually that's really interesting that that because Probably a lot of the time, those fourth and fifth round guys are probably being drafted close to their teammates because the market doesn't know which, I mean, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, uh, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, 
CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. Like that, like that, that is an example. And I mean, that gets us going off on another tangent. I'm like, what's the value? Like last year, if you had middled Robert Woods and Cooper Cup where they were going and you were just like, I'm taking Cooper Cup every single time. Now, obviously that can like wreck your season. If you, if you'd gone the other way, if you'd taken Robert Woods, like you're dust, like all your teams are dusted off. But I mean, we haven't talked about diversification really at all. What are, what are your general thoughts on diversification? Uh, I think you're scared to compete if you're diversifying like on player takes, like have player takes, like just make them be good. Like, I think that's where the player archetype matters more than like the, the one-off players. Um, but I think like the only diversification thing is like how much, uh, ownership you should, you should have on a player and you should never have 50% on a player because that means you're reaching on them. So I think like by default, if you're only drafting the players that you like at ADP, you're never going to have somebody over 30% owned because you're never going to be reaching on players. So, um, I think I want to be diversifying in like the player archetypes of the exact players going back to like Robert Woods, Cooper cup. That would be something where I thought the Rams offense was going to pass way more because they got the quarterback upgrade. We've seen Sean McVay uh, play fast pace and be uh, top five in neutral pass rates. So I thought both would be good bets. So I would be hammering those types rather than a player. Like for example, this year, like Amon Ross St. Brown, for example, I don't really want too much Amon Ross St. Brown. I just don't see the Lions having an elite offense. Uh, I think Amon Ross St. Brown, like best case scenario is he beats his ADP by a couple spots. I want somebody on a team that I'm actually going to be stacking with. Like I'm going to be going out of my way to make sure I have DeAndre Hopkins because I know I want Kyler Murray. Because if Kyler Murray pops off, that means DeAndre Hopkins is also going right. to the moon. So it's those type of players where I'm just diversifying on the types of players, not like the individual like one-off talent evaluations. Um, but I, I think, I don't think that you should diversify, uh, on purpose, just put players in buckets and then eliminate certain types of players. Kind of how I view it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and let me tell you getting 30% of guys who absolutely suck ass is not a fun way to go through your season. Uh, because I did a fair amount of that last year. Now having 30% of a guy who's awesome, that's a great time. That's a great feeling. It's just, uh, so you better Be hope you better hope your player takes are right because if not, you're going to have a bad time. Really? I do really think that the player take uh, analysis out there right now, like you should never have it. I think it's like total garbage. Like there, some people are better talent evaluators. They understand. It's not just like, is this player good? It's like, how does this player fit into offenses? There's skill to that. Like people doing projections, understanding how often a team's going to pass or con contingent based projections. Like there's, there's ways to gain an edge. Um, just be good at it. Like if you're bad, at, if you're bad at picking players, guess what? You were never going to win on underdog on underdog. So like understand the strategy, but also understand like which type of players actually um, have like top 10% outcome. That is, you know what? That's actually a great point is that if you were just, if you are simply pick, sniping off all the ADP values and not, uh, not doing anything more than that, like you, you're probably just paying the rake. Maybe, maybe you advance 10% of your teams instead of the 8.8% that you need, but it's very unlikely that you're going to advance a significant number of teams or that you will win the stupid million dollars. So there we go. Hayden, give the people the promo code, tell them where to go. Do what you got to do, brother. Um, promo code, the show that's Josh and I's uh, podcast. We're on YouTube. We're doing a bunch of prospect videos. Um, after that, it's going to be best ball mania, uh, three ranking shows and all of the uh, tight end columns I've been, I've been hinting at. Um, those will all be on the underdog football show. And I'm on Twitter at Hayden Winks. Yeah, there we go. Everyone, underdog, 
Hayden Winks, Josh Norris, do all the things. And uh, we'll be back next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs>